Hello, everyone, and welcome to the seventh edition of Tiger Kickoff, the podcast for the 2020 college football season, coming to you from a special bi-week edition of the podcast. My name is Adam Cole. I'm joined by our other two Missourian Mizzou football beat writers, Max Baker and Andy Kimball. Uh, we're coming to you from a pre-recorded podcast on Wednesday, November 4th, and I think we've all we've all had some pretty, uh, pretty late nights last night this is post we're into election day two um i know you're coming here for your sports fix but how late did everyone stay up last night like 2 a.m it's been a long day yeah me too um yeah um one thing that we can say i think is after missouri's lost to four there will not be a key race alert in missouri for the sec east it does not appear so so many we had a in our apartment we had an over under on how many key race alerts there would be on cnn did we did we hit 65 we were um, we're still going this morning yeah well when my rent when our our room when we went to bed it was like 52 52 okay we were lunch this morning so yeah probably we probably probably had to run to them but um no it's certainly been a crazy last 24 hours or so for the country but um looking at mizzou football obviously clearly the thing at the forefront of everyone's mind right now um we're going to take you guys through a little bit of things as we hit the midway point. We are halfway into this 10-game conference-only season. But last week, uh, we hit game number five. With, but wait, we have a key race wait, alert. We do have a key race alert? No, we don't. No, we, we don't. Do. We don't have a key <laughs> Sorry, race alert. Sorry, I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> King of bits, Max Baker over here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, game number five uh, was the loss to Florida. Less a loss, more so a trouncing, almost, I'd say. Uh, I believe it was 41 to 17 in the swamp and trouncing, I guess, in in, in more than one way. Um, of course, with that whole halftime brawl, um, if you didn't catch it, it, it looked kind of rough. Trajan Jeffcoat with a pretty late hit on Kyle Trask at the end of the first half that kind of exploded into the team's, well, going into an, going into an all-out brawl. Dan Mullen charged the, charged the pile, ended up getting fined. Multiple players out for their next games against Georgia, both... Florida and Missouri, respectively. But looking at the game itself, what did you guys take away from it? What what stood out? It the big thing to me was kind of the inconsistency of the offense against LSU and Kentucky. You kind of saw an offense that you know looked good. I mean, they 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 you know, and Florida's defense coming in. I think they had fifteen or sixteen players um, out for the game and a couple starting corners and a starting safety. So I, I mean, I wasn't thinking Missouri would score its only touchdown when the game was over, like, you know, essentially over. So that really stood out to me. The other thing that stood out, I guess, I don't know, the, you know, defensively, Jarvis Bergen, the pick six was kind of, you know, I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't see that coming in terms of on Kyle Trask um, in the first half, but that was kind of, I guess, Missouri's, one of Missouri's lone bright spots from that win, or from that loss. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, the defense held up pretty well to be, like, they were leading with two minutes left in the first half, and then have a couple, have it give up a couple of touchdowns, the defense finally breaks, and have a couple of turnovers, and that was kind of the difference. But I think like the game overall just reinforces the idea that in the SEC there's kind of like a top tier of teams with Alabama, Georgia, and now I would probably say Florida that are just so much better than everybody else. Um, especially in the SEC East, where it's now it's just Georgia and Florida just competing, and everybody else is kind of, I don't want to say irrelevant, but like they're fighting for a third and fourth place basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, and I mean, one of Drinkwitz's goals when he took over the program was to, was to win the SEC, and it just kind of shows that it's going to be a long road for him to get to that level, just because there's such a talent gap between mm-hmm. Missouri and Florida, um, or there was on Saturday, and will likely in a week, what would it be like a week and a half, see how big that talent gap is between Missouri and Georgia. 
Yeah, I think it's definitely kind of, Andy, I think that was my biggest takeaway too, was it was very much like Florida is in that top tier and, and Missouri is not. And I think the other thing too that's kind of interesting is I think the deeper we get into this season, the that 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 emphatic signature win over LSU continues to uh, what's the phrase? All that glitters is not gold. Um, I, I just it's I, it gets less and less impressive each week, especially when um, LSU got absolutely trounced itself last week by an Auburn team that is four and two now, but could just as easily be what um, two and four to this point because they had a couple of kind of controversial wins on very specific calls. You know, it's it's funny because I think we're we're I, we talked about it a little bit after the game a couple weeks ago, but I think we're safely at the point where honestly the Kentucky win might have even been a little more impressive than that win over LSU. Um, not from like a momentum standpoint and getting recruits or a national scale, but I just think Kentucky is a better team than LSU because yeah. their defense is, you know, good and LSU is just really struggling right now. They scored 11 points against Auburn in a blowout loss. So yeah, I, I think Kentucky, I mean, I don't know that neither, that either of them are really much, you know, contenders in the SEC, but they're, I think Kentucky is like a slightly better win. Um, in terms of from a football standpoint um, than LSU. Mm-hmm. And I don't, yeah, I don't know how much we actually got into this on the podcast, but it was very much like a, you know, you also look at the fact that like Missouri hadn't beaten Kentucky in like six years and Drinkwitz obviously did something that Odom could never do during his tenure here. But it was also, I think, really impressive. And I, we did definitely touch on this a little bit, but like just the fact that they went from, you know, that really high flying offense against LSU to being able to really, you know, grind it out. I think we talked about John Gruden and his grinders, if if I recall correctly. But, you know, the fact that they were able to do that and switch up the pace of the offense. And then obviously, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I was very much expecting a lot of that offense they had against LSU to come out last Saturday uh, in the swamp. And that really, that really did not happen. Yeah, I didn't expect the only touchdown to be in garbage time either. So certainly disappointing if you're Missouri. But uh, Looking at it, we're in the scheduled bye week now. There's, of course, been two bye weeks because of everything that happened uh, with the Vanderbilt game that was supposed to be played in the first half of this season. Looking at it, the midway point, what what is your guys's, you know, what do you see in this team? What what needs to change? What what needs to improve moving forward if they want to have a good back half of the year? I just, I honestly, you know, I, I think they're, offense, I, I know I said this before, but I think their offense just has to be more consistent. They're going to be going up against teams that are more, um, around their t- talent level. I mean, Georgia obviously is, I think, you know, you can safely say that that is a game that they're not expected to win and it probably won't be that close. But um, those next four games are just, you know, real tests and indicators for where this team is at because I think you could say that Missouri will be favored in three of four or maybe two of four of the, their last four games against Vanderbilt, South Carolina, um, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. I just, I, I think, you know, what lies ahead for them where you know where you look at you knew those first five games were going to be tough most people didn't think Missouri was going to win two of the five games um to their first five games so you look at that and I think you seek sort of a success even though you know the Florida game maybe wasn't so but now now I think you look at and you see like all right where's this program headed are they going to get better through through the five first five weeks are those tough tests gonna you know sort of pay off you know are they going to look better against teams that are more closer to their talent you know level right now yeah i mean like the biggest in terms of them like winning more games they basically just need an easier schedule and like they'll get that after the georgia game i guess like overall you i think they need a little more improvement offensively against good teams because if you look against alabama um tennessee and then florida they just weren't scoring any points and they weren't getting a lot of first downs and they were just putting the defense time and time again in really tough positions and missouri's defense has been all right this year but it's not good enough to just it's not going to be like a like a Alabama or like a Kentucky defense where like 
if the offense isn't scoring points, it'll still keep you in the game. No, absolutely. And I think the really kind of Max, you touched on it and I'm pulling out an, an old Derek Dooley quote for this. And, and he said it in regards to Josh Heupel's old offense. I'm saying it in regards to this one. It kind of just seems like, dare I say, empty calories to this point, because they really, you look at Basilak had an incredible performance against LSU. I would say that it's probably been, I think you could argue that, you know, beyond the record, probably the biggest win for this Missouri team is the fact that it's, it's found what will likely be the quarterback of the future. Um, in Basilak this year. He had a phenomenal performance against LSU, four touchdowns, 400 yards. Since then, I don't think he's had a single touchdown, either on the ground or through the air. Um, the inability to get Tyler Beatty going on the ground, I think his it certainly hasn't been in their favor. Larry Roundtree has been, you know, he's been their feature back this year, and he's done a good job with that. But you look at the fact that Jalen Knox and Tyler Beatty are almost comparable in terms of the rushing attack this year so far. I don't think that's what you want. That's really, I think, the big spot. And then, you know, the defense itself. You're right, Andy. It's been remedial, but I, I don't, I don't really even think I know where they can improve to this point. Even, even Bo Nix, like he was a guy that, like, a lot of people were saying, like, you know, is he, should he be Auburn's quarterback against LSU? He threw for 300 yards. He was 18 and 24. I think that's completing 75 percent of his passes for three touchdowns, 300 yards. Um, so, like, you know, you look at that and you say, yeah, Missouri's found their quarterback, but you also you put that in perspective with LSU's defense, and you will just sort of wonder, you know, how is that, how, you know, again, these next five games are more of like the, the test. I think the test is to, did you find your quarterback for sure? Because, you know, Sean Robinson will still be there for two or three years. So, yeah, that's what you, that, that's what you're looking for in these next five, five weeks. Absolutely. So, with it being at the midway point, we're going to do, a few mid-season awards here. We're going to tell you who we think is our our MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Special Teams Player of the Year, and then uh, I guess just the biggest surprise of the year so far. I you know I think initially we thought it could be a player, but we could talk about other things too in terms of biggest surprises. But Team MVP Max, I think right now it'd probably be Nick Bolton. I just he's the team leader in tackles, which is about the least surprising thing you could probably you know imagine he's got i think 12 more than anybody else uh 15 more than devin nicholson the other uh starting linebacker for missouri he had that big play on third down against lsu and i just think i just think the team this defense would probably be you know in you know kind of a disaster without him because he's like the focal point you know he's going to be probably a first or second round pick in the nfl draft this year I think he's sort of in the team MVP just because just because of his impact on the field. And, you know, you know where he, he's all over the field at any given point. Yeah, I would agree. I think like M- this MVP and like if we do in defensive player of the year, will be the easiest ones because Bolton's far and away the best player. Um, I kind of I have a different defensive player of the year, but we'll, we'll get there. OK, I no, I, I, I got that. That makes sense. I, yeah. I can see that. Um, but also, um, I think like he just makes big plays every week, like even on the pick six last week, he was the guy who had the pressure. And got in the face of Kyle Trask and forced him to make that bad throw. I think. Um, I think the biggest thing is like we we're talking about the talent gap earlier. Besides, or between Missouri and those bigger programs, they need to compete with to win the division. And Bolin's a player who has like the talent level that's on those other teams, and so they basically just need to. Like this is a lot easier than to, to say than it is to actually do. But if Missouri gets more players like Nick Bolin, like that's what they need to do to be an elite program and so i mean he's one of the only guys that's kind of that level right now absolutely and the really interesting thing i think about bolton too is you look at um he was i think a three-star prospect out of i think frisco texas and you look at a lot of gary pinkle's recruiting strategies when he was here he you know you go just about anywhere in texas and like i swear like a a three-star in texas is the equivalent of like a four-star in you know a smaller state things like that it's generally the, the comp and 
I think Pinkle did a great job of getting those low star guys in Texas and developing them and bringing them up here. And I know Drinkwitz talked a lot about wanting to kind of tap into some of the things that Drinkwitz did when he recruited. So it'll be interesting to see if they do get more of those Bolton types. I'm going a different route with my team MVP. I think to this point, the most valuable player for Mizzou, and I think we saw it in the Florida game. Um, and I think you could chalk this up to some of what was going on at the position as a whole. But I think the MVP to this point is Larry Borum. He was incredible. I think he didn't allow a pressure all the way until the Kentucky game and on a unit that I think was really people expected to possibly be the worst unit on the team this year. He has been at the forefront of them being arguably one of the better ones, if not the best one on the team. And they gave up three sacks against Florida and he did not travel. The last time they gave up three sacks was in week one against Alabama. Obviously there was a lot going on. Um, just in terms of, I know, I don't think they had a couple starters set and obviously you're shaking off the rust, but no, I, I would say that Larry Borum is, uh, to this point, their most valuable player. I, 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 you know, I moving along to the offensive player of the year, that was who my offensive player of the year was going to be. I mean, the, you know, as you said, I mean, there's not much more you can really go into. He's just been sort of the, I don't know if you'd call him a surprise, but he's just been steady at the offensive line position against Alabama against Tennessee against LSU you saw you know LSU even though their defense has struggled I think they had the most sacks entering mm-hmm. this past week in the SEC so like even still he's been you know pretty rock solid for them and protecting Bazelak and so yeah he would be my offensive MVP I don't know I, I lean towards Jalen Knox a little bit but I don't think he's been consistent enough to to really you know I haven't been explosive enough to give him the offensive player of the year yeah I, mean, I think Borum's up there um but I think since he's missed a little time I'd have to go with Bazelak just because he's been the consistent factor for the offense when they've been successful the most uh, i mean a lot of that i think is partially due to when the offense goes really well it seems like it's using great tempo and using drink with the scheme well but i think that's because basic has shown at the very least that he's been a good a relatively good decision maker especially for someone his age and i think that kind of just projects well for the future and i mean we're talking about him and Kroger, the future um i mean you saw his accuracy on deep balls i think once he gets more comfortable in the offense and they have an offensive line that isn't having eight different players play in the first four games, I think they'll be able to throw the ball deep more and really expand the offense. So I think he's been the most promising player. Finally get to Kiki Chisholm and Damon Hazleton involved in that (laughs) high-flying vertical offense. We really kind of haven't seen a lot of them this year. I know Kiki Chisholm had kind of a decent game against Florida, but I think a lot of that was kind of late and and, in garbage time, so to speak. But my offensive player of the year, and it's hard because Andy... I. I think you make a lot of really good points with Basilak, and it's hard not to want to pick Basilak. I especially think the decision-making thing is huge. Yeah. That's why I think he's the guy of the future because it was even like watching the Tennessee game and thinking back to the Alabama game too. Um, but like, you know, there were a couple sacks where Robinson, like they should have been two or three yard sacks and they turned into 12 and 13 yard yeah. sacks and you can't have stuff like that. And Basilak, I just, from the minute he stepped into the Tennessee game, it was like night and day because, you know, there was, I remember one of his first plays, he like evaded pressure and ran for like three yards and it's just stuff Robinson wasn't doing. But my offensive player of the year to this point, and I think it's just been because of his overall consistency, I will say like his consistency and success has not been indicative of the offense as a whole. But Larry Roundtree to this point has just been like, I feel like he's been the bedrock of offensive success even when Missouri hasn't like won. He manages to find a way to get going. He's averaging, I think, about 86 yards a game to this point. I think he's got 400 yards on the year. The next closest guy, I think, is Beatty with about 130, 120 yards. So I think just in terms of consistency, I, I would say that Roundtree is probably my offensive player of the year. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could see it. You know, when 
he's he in a normal 12 game season i think he would rush for a thousand yards he'll be close and he's at 432 right now through halfway through the season um so you know obviously you take those numbers with a grain of salt knowing who they're playing and you know that the lack of a 12 game season um but yeah, I think or we, if we move along to defensive player of the year, I would normally say Nick Bolton because I, I, he's been probably the best, most impactful player. But I think right now I'd go Bledsoe um, because just because of the two plays he's had, the one against LSU where he had the pass breakup in the end zone, and then he's had the 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 forced fumble or the yeah the forced fumble against Kentucky, even though that game was pretty much well out of reach. He had the two big plays, and I think you know as of right now the the safeties Martez Manuel, Tyree Gillespie, and Bledsoe have you know sort of all stepped up in their roles. Um, so I think he would he would be my defensive player of the year, but obviously if you go with Nick Bolton, that makes perfect sense too. Yeah, I think I think mine to this point would probably be Bolton. And I mean, you guys have already, I guess, Andy, the reason I jumped you because it's just so like, it's yeah. self-explanatory and we've already touched on it enough. I mean, you know, clearly he's the most talented guy on the team, kind of like Andy, like you said too, like even oh. when he's not making the direct play, he's very much had an impact on yeah. really big plays to this point this season. So, I'd probably give him my my depoy, but um, yeah, I'd agree. I think like also, I'm I'm not gonna go into Bolden a whole lot because we've kind of explained how good he is and why he's so good. But I think it'll be interesting to see who replaces him if he goes to the draft, just because his skill set and like the range of plays he can make, like r- rushing on blitzes, pressing the quarterback, playing in the run, playing coverage, and also I mean on that LSU play on third down, he diagnosed a screen uh, out route and was able to just sprint to the outside really quickly off the snap and knock that play down. And I mean, like, those players are so hard to find, and especially in a system where they only have really two middle linebackers, Mm -hmm. those linebackers have to cover so much more space. So it'll be interesting to see if they can find another enough like caliber, high-caliber linebackers to fill in and play that role. Mm -hmm. And they've got, I mean, Devin Nicholson... I would assume we'll probably step into that position moving forward, but you've also got no shoot. I'm already. I mean, you got Chad Bailey, um, Jamal Brooks. Jamal Brooks is another one. I'm blanking on his name. He replaced Kale Garrett last year. It starts with an A. Oh, Cam Wilkins. Cam Wilkins. Yeah, no, it is Cam yeah. Wilkins. I was thinking. I think I was thinking of Aubrey. He does Miller. have an A in his name. Aubrey yeah. Aubrey Miller transferred, but Cam Wilkins is who I was thinking of. And then you've also got there's. I know they've got a couple of recruits coming in who play that position too. So it'll be interesting to see if any of those guys. Uh, take root and develop in the same way. Um, I think for special teams player of the year, I should count to three, and we should just all say it at the same time. Long snapper um, Jake Hoffman. Like, oh, gosh, <laughs> I, are we all in consensus that that's Harrison yeah. Mavis? Yeah. No, I, I mean, geez, he's he's only what missed two field goals to this point. Yeah. One was a fifty. One was yarder. a fifty-six yarder, and yeah. he's been he's been pretty automatic. And obviously, is as everyone says you're only as good as your last kick. Um, but he's, through five games, he's been as good as his last kick. He's been, he's been as good yeah. as his last kick through through five games. It's pretty hard to refute in any other way. Biggest surprise? Yeah, I mean, as of right now, I mean, uh, the biggest surprise to me has kind of been the lack of... The biggest surprise in a negative way, which I guess since we've been doing positive sort of players a year, for me would be the wide receiver group because there was just a lot of hype going in about that wide receiver group. And, you know, normally going coming into this year, you would have been like, all right, they lost Albert Okawayman, I'm who's a tight end. You lost uh, Johnson. You lost... Um, I'm missing Jonathan Nance, Jonathan Nance. You lost like Cam Scott, you lost so many weapons and you would think this would be a rebuilding year for the wide receiver group. You would think they would maybe take a step back, but with the hype that kind of came in with the new receivers, like they, you know, I think I remember a quote from Drinkwood saying like, why isn't anybody asking me about Kiki Chisholm? And then the division two transfer from Angelo state Kiki Chisholm. Yeah. Now 
yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, I always thought that was kind of funny when he said that in the moment because it was like, yeah, he, he didn't come from, yeah, no, he came from a very small school. I will say he's it's certainly impressive. And I mean, like the dude's got the stature and it'll be interesting to see if he can put it together in the second half of the season. But, but there was just, there was just like a lot of hype coming in and they really, you know, after that LSU game, they didn't even, Hazleton and uh, Kiki Chisholm, I don't think had the starting job. And now, I mean, they did play the first snaps of the Kentucky game and then they played the Florida game. But it just shows you that like that position group is kind of you know it's not set, and that's kind of been the biggest surprise to me. Just it well, it wouldn't have been had there would, had not been so much hype coming in or surrounding that position. But now now that's the biggest surprise to me. I will say Damon Hazelton is number two on the team in receiving yards. But a really interesting thing is I don't think I'm trying to think there's only been one. I think Toski Dove and Michael Wilson are the only two receivers who have actually had a receiving touchdown this year. Because Knox and Hazelton both haven't had a touchdown, receiving touchdown. I think Tyler Beatty's, Beatty's got a couple. Beatty's got yeah. a couple, and then Nico Hay had one. Yeah. So, But yeah, Andy, what's your biggest surprise this year? Yeah, I would say, in a positive sense, just Ennis Rake start playing as well as he has after winning the starting job at the beginning of the season. Just because, I mean, I think partially with the injury to Jarvis where he's had to step up a lot, which Jarvis was back, which is good for them. But, I mean, I like you would, against a true freshman, you'd expect them to kind of go at him. And be able to get a lot of yards. Like if you look at the Michigan Michigan State game last week, Michigan had a young corner, and Michigan State just abused him the whole game, and that was part of the reason they won. And teams have been able to do that to Rakestraw, and so I think that's a huge credit to him. Um, and I mean, we're looking for like you're talking about young three-star Texas prospects that they can develop. I mean, he's one of those guys that they need. And so yeah, that's been a big surprise for me. Max, what you tweeted something about him being yeah. In terms of true freshman, I mean, the stats are a little different on NCAA.com. They have they don't have Rakestraw up there with any. That pass defended. They, like, yeah. It's a look, but ESPN has Rakestraw with five passes defended, and the only players that have the only freshmen that have more than him have played more games. I think there's one from Kansas, one from Malachi Moore from Alabama, who's been really good. Yeah. Um, and there was one other player I'm blanking on, but there were there were three that had more than him. Um, I think it was one more than him, and yeah. they had all played either one or two more games than yeah. Missouri has. So he's been he's been one of the better freshmen corners in the country yeah and he's had like I, I don't know in terms of memorable plays too he's i remember i think it was like the very first play of the alabama game he had a pass breakup and i was like oh holy moly i was like that was yeah. that was him and then um i swear it against lsu he had a couple of, of pretty significant ones whether they were hits or pass breakups i can't entirely remember and then against florida last week he actually was on one of their first drives he had a really just phenomenal pass breakup in the in like the corner of the end zone really early on i think it was on tony I think it was. Yeah. yeah, no, it was he's he's looked really good so far. Um I will say my biggest surprise and I guess it's re- it's really really lame, but I I think the lack of ball control has been just like my biggest surprise to this point, especially when you look at like last year they were so especially on the defense. Like they had so many takeaways last year and I felt like that was a really huge thing that everyone preached when David Gibbs came in was, you know, I mean, they were going to, they were going to get to the ball. They were going to get turnovers, get takeaways. And so I think the lack of that to this point compared, uh, you know, you compare that with the fact that they've had, obviously you look at interceptions, there's only been one thrown by Basilak, but like he's had three fumbles to this point, I think. And two of them came in, you know, fairly spots where, you know, you shouldn't fumble it when you're getting sacked. And obviously I say that I'm not a division one quarterback. And so I can't really speak to it in that term, but it's like you would figure that they'd work on something like that and make sure, you know, when you're going down in the pocket, you're not fumbling that ball. Obviously easier said than done. We need to recognize that, but you know, it just seemed like they've had a lot of, of fumbles this year. 
um, and they haven't really been holding on to the ball as well as you would assume. And so I think that's really been my biggest surprise this year is just the lack of ball control. I say that they, they did a good job in terms of ball control against Kentucky in terms of time of possession, and that's a whole different type, but it's, I think, probably my biggest surprise to this I point. I think Jarvis Ware was their first interception of the season, which was um, pretty surprising. Yeah. I think it was. And they have a couple forced fumbles. They have three, I think, but yeah. so has one, and there were a couple others. But, yeah, the, I, yeah I, I'd agree with you. The one, one was on the option pitch that Alabama just kind of botched, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. I, I, I see what you're saying as far as that on the yeah. defense. It, yeah. is, it is interesting, though, because they have had good surprises. I think Reg Straw is one of them. I think, Max, you kind of touched on it. I think Jalen Knox has been... Yeah. I they I, ooh, I he could be really interesting because the fact that they've been able to establish him as like somebody who can run the ball on the edge is that's I think that could be big moving forward. He's but, their leading receiver and yeah yeah I mean, they use him a lot. He has their most receptions too. Yeah, he's got twenty two I think to this point yeah. of the year. Final thing before we move forward um, into everyone's favorite game, record predictions. How do we see you know? I guess not five weeks from now, end of the season. What what is what's Missouri's final record? I I see them winning three. I think they I see I think they beat Mississippi State. I think they beat Vanderbilt, and I think they beat South Carolina. I think those are three games that they should win. They'll probably be favored in all three. I I don't see them beating Georgia, and I don't I don't know if I see them beating Arkansas yet. I don't. I just right now Arkansas like looks like a team that's. You know, they played Auburn competitive, and I know Auburn, they probably should have won the Auburn game, but I know Auburn hasn't been, you know, as we thought they would. But right now, I think that game's sort of a toss-up and a game that Barry Yodum, I think they're going to be a little bit more motivated. I, that, that That's like a thing that I don't even really believe in, the motivation. It's like, you know, it's a game of football. But I just, I think that they're, that's a game that has, was marked on the calendar for them, you know, after losing, you know, and prior years. And just, I think that's just a game that you don't really know. So I think, I think they probably win three of their next five. That's my guess. So I guess that would put them at five and five, which yeah. is a lot better than I would have had them at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Yeah, I'd also have them at five and five. I think, I mean, I, it breaks it down where they have those two pretty much clear ones against Mississippi State and Vanderbilt, and I would have South Carolina and Arkansas as both toss up games. And then Georgia, I don't really give them a whole lot of hope just because Georgia's so good. The only hope they have in that game is that Georgia, I think Georgia's playing, they played Florida this week, and they, you know, you know, if, if they get, week. yeah, they don't have a bye week. Mizzou's got the bye week. So I think, I think Mizzou will probably put up a good fight against them, but I just don't know that mm-hmm. they, that they're going to come out and win that game. Yeah, I think I, my final record I'd put them at is four and six. I think, obviously, Georgia and I think Arkansas, I don't think they'll beat Arkansas. Whether it's, you kind of mentioned momentum, I mean, they just look, they look put together, you know, which is kind of crazy considering the last two years of two and ten Chad Morris but I think those are losses. I think they should win South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Vanderbilt. And I think they'll win the game against Vanderbilt because, with all due respect to Vanderbilt, it is Vanderbilt. Just knowing college football, too, something will happen in what, either the Mississippi State or South Carolina game. My guess is the South Carolina game. I think Colin Hills looked pretty impressive this year. And, you know, that's like that's very much a team you should beat. But, like, just knowing how college football season goes, my guess is one of those two teams will come out and surprise so I'd probably put them at four and six at the end of the year. But yeah, with that, we will go into everyone's uh, everyone's favorite segment of the week. But no mascot melee. No, it is mascot melee this week. But there is no 
Mizzou. There is no Mizzou mascot melee this week with the bye week. And so I'm going to give you guys the breakdown, but it's not really the breakdown. Each week, we're going to give our predictions for who would win in a fight, Truman the Tiger or Missouri's opponent mascot. Now, obviously, this week we will not be doing that, but a few weeks back, we added something new to give a little flavor, a little week-to-week flair in that we were going to pick our favorite mascot matchups from around the country each week, and we've all got those ready to go. Um, And Max, I think we'll start with you. Yeah, I got the Tulane Green Wave taking on East Carolina Pirates, and you know, it's honestly, I think it's just fitting in terms of the election to go with the wave. You know, we didn't see the wave, at least yet, that we were that a lot of people were expecting the blue wave. I don't think we're gonna see a green wave. I mean, Gary Johnson tried. I think or was it Jill Stein was Jill green. Stein, Jill yeah. Stein was green. That did not turn up in twenty sixteen. I don't think there will be a green wave, although no. Tulane is hoping there's a big yeah. green wave on Saturday. But I, I think the election will be you know, that's just an interesting thing. I mean for me at Tulane, they really they really have kind of struggled. The three and four, I mean and East Carolina has also struggled one and four, so it's kind of a game, you know, which team is going to get back on track. I think, but I think, I think Tulane's going to win because Michael Pratt has that team, you know, going in the right direction. He completed twelve of twenty-one passes, only threw one interception last week. Only I, one interception. I, you know, he he's the last two games he's thrown for two hundred yards passing. He didn't do that in the first. How many interceptions did he have in the last two games before? In in actually in the in the games where he didn't throw for two hundred yards, he only had you know one interception. Most you know, I think it was weeks. Yeah, you just testing my knowledge. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm familiar with Michael Pratt and the yeah. Tulane offense. You I pr- mean, you big Pratt guy. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Hutterson. I mean, or Stefan. I think is <laughs> it might be. I'm not. I'm not exactly positive. Um, Step fan. Yeah, he he's you know he has three touchdowns, but their their rushing attack is just really good. They have a lot of rushing touchdowns on the year. How many? A lot. A lot. I don't. I'm not positive. A lot more than they have passing. This is there. You go. Yeah. They. Yeah. So I like Tulane. I like that. I. I don't. I don't like that they're the that they're a wave right now because there doesn't seem to be a lot of waves in terms of the election. But give me Tulane. 11 a.m. November 7th, Saturday. ESPN Plus. Book it. There you go. I Andy, we'll save you for last because I like your I don't even know if it's that hot of a take, but I just really enjoy that take that you were talking about before we started recording. Um, my mascot matchup this week, we're going with the Pac-12 matchup. Uh, get me Bill Walton here. Get him on the game. Has Bill Walton ever done color for a college football game? I don't think so. I think he's just basketball. He's the only exception I think you can I, I would highly disagree. I, I think he's a very smart guy, but I do not think you want him for three hours and thirty minutes on a college football. I game. mean, I always want him for as long as I can get him on college basketball, I would want him on college football. Okay. I would. I give give me give me him in a baseball set, setting too. I give uh-huh. give me him in every setting. Okay. I am pro Bill Walton. I am too, but I'm not pro I'm not pro college football Bill Walton. I would just go yeah. off the rails. This is fair. This is fair, but my my matchup this week is um, the Stanford Cardinal um, at the number twelve Oregon Ducks. Um, that game is kicking off six thirty p.m. Central on ABC, um, and I think there's just there's just a lot of humor to unpack here because I think a duck being a mascot is comical. Again, I think that's kind of it's of a terrapin vein. It's a little it's a couple steps above. Last week we talked about the the edible terrapin. Um, I think a duck is just. I think a, I think a, I think a Donald Duck. You know what I mean? Quack, quack, quack. Exactly. And then the Stanford Cardinal is not actually the bird; it is the color. Like that is that is their official mascot. It's just the color, <laughs> you know, the cardinal red, which I think is ridiculous. And then even more ridiculous than that is the band's mascot, the Stanford Tree. Have you guys ever seen that? 
I mean, yeah, I, I, NCAA football mascot games. Oh my it's god, it's a lot of fun. It doesn't have arms. Um, it's got a face that I think just kind of uh, like like frumps over to one side of the of the costume. It's it's a really good bit. Um, so that's my matchup of the week. I think if I had to pick one, you know, I don't even know that. Like this is this is abstract. You know what I mean? Because you've got a color uh, against the against the living living thing. This is conceptual here. I don't really know that you can even. I, don't know how I would take the better football team. I would probably take Oregon. Yeah, no, I'd take the duck. I'd take the duck against the color if we're talking mascots. Or they just like, won't fight. I, would, I, I yeah. Okay, actually, my hot take is I would take the tree over the duck. Okay, I mean... Because the duck won't fight the tree. The tree, the tree could fall on the duck. Exactly. That, would, that could take 100 years. That would it be a could. lot of overtimes. It would. It would. You hey, know. man, seven overtimes? That didn't... It, it, we, we sat there for for Texas A&M and LSU. Yeah. We'll, we'll sit there for 100 with a tree mm-hmm. and a duck, right? Yeah. Did we ever clarify that we're not in the situation room and that we are in a different room? We are in a bedroom? We are. I don't know if we've ever... Specific, I, I don't know that we've ever explicitly stated this, Normally, this podcast gets recorded at the KBIA studios, but due to, you know, this whole pandemic thing that goes on, we were not able to find access to a studio this year, so we actually record on the floor of my bedroom. Not the Situation Room with Walt Blitzer. No, not the Situation Room, the bedroom. I think we have a better name for it, but I haven't thought of it. What, we're probably going to come up with it. We'll, co- we'll come up with a better name than the Situation Room. Yeah. So, now that you know that about where we record, Andy, what's your mascot matchup of the week? Yeah, so it'll be Rutgers-Ohio State, which will be probably one of the more lopsided football games of the week. But um, it kind of goes off a similar theme. Um, a couple weeks ago, I also picked Tulane because I think they're the most dominant mascot. Because if you think about it, they're like, it's an autonomous wave, and like you just can't really beat nature, you know what I mean? But Ohio State is the Buckeyes and Rutgers Rutgers are the Scarlet Knights. And I think the Buckeyes are probably the worst and least intimidating mascot. Because, I mean, it's just a nut. I you just know. would disagree with that. I mean, I, I could understand with Brutus, but, like, does Brutus have... Like, if his head's a nut, like, does Brutus have a brain? Like, what are we working with he's here? Got a, like, he's you got know, a like, seed. He's, he's a buff nut. Yeah. I don't... I don't know. Like, I really I, don't, I don't think know. he's that... I think, if anything, he's... I think he's a good mascot. Yeah. I mean, do you really think that a Brutus is less intimidating than a Syracuse orange? Like a color, I would take the Buckeye over an orange. But it's not I, even, it's I not think even that if, color, you, if you think the like, what is an orange gonna do? I don't know. I, I would that say they're pretty. Matchup. I would say they're pretty similar. Yeah, that I would say. Good, I, mean, I would say. I think an orange has a little bigger mass than a than a nut. So that's what I would go with. This is fair. Depends on the nut. Just could be size. a coconut. Be, what is that's a Buckeye? Fair. Yeah, that is a Buckeye. Oh, it's their nuts are like the size of your. Like palm, kind of. So if it was a clementine, they would be a better matchup, but it's an orange, so. Yeah, okay. so that's, that's tough, yeah. Do you guys know technically an avocado is a nut? I didn't know that, but I didn't need to Damn. know that either. Well, <laughs> now you know. This is why, this is why people listen. Mm, I don't know, know about I, that. Yeah. But there you go. There you go. So who? Okay. So you are taking you are taking the Scarlet Knight. And I will. Show. Yeah. One one slice of the sword, and the nut is. It's yeah, gone. So and, it's and you're break. still wrong about the. Wait, what is a what is a volunteer? Least intimidating. What is a volunteer? Are you volunteering to do something? Wait, they're, they're, I'm pretty sure that I was after it's... people like volunteered to like, oh, serve. So right. like they've got guns. Never so mind, it's then. over, man. Yeah, like, okay. This is fair. <laughs> I'm not a mascot expert, you know. Clearly, but they've I, also got Smokey. Yeah, and Smokey's cute. Dude's yeah. ear, dude's ears could fit like 
thirty nuts. So, there you go. Yeah, it's over. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not an expert on the volunteers. I just figured it was a volunteering for something. No. Yeah. And do we know? Do we know where that game will be broadcast? Do we know if that game will be broadcast? The Rutgers game. Yes. Oh yeah, that's that's one of the bigger games of the day. I mean, it's on six thirty on BTN. Big Ten. Network. Big Ten Network. There I know. Go. Well, if you, I know yeah. everyone in Missouri has the Big Ten oh, Network. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. And. With that, I think that does it for the seventh edition of Tiger Kickoff, the podcast. Um, I am your host, Adam Cole, again, joined by Max Baker and Andy Kimball. Um, if you want to keep up with what we're doing, you can head over to Twitter and follow us at Cole Reporter, at Max Baker underscore 15, and at by Andy Kimball. Um, and if you want to keep up with what the Columbia, Missourian sports section is doing, um, and even, you know, heck, let's expand that, what they're doing with their election coverage too. Go follow at Co-Missourian on Twitter. If you want the sports section specifically, go to at Como Sports. Um, and then if you want to read articles online, you can head to www.columbiamissourian.com. Thank you.